Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This episode of, of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Will, the premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Well, Sean, how are you doing this morning, bud? I'm doing great. I'm doing super good. Good, man. It's a, uh, it's, it was, yesterday was a, I don't know if it was the, I wasn't overly expecting anything crazy to happen, but I sure wasn't thinking that that corn would close down and that beans would be off thirteen cents and everything and all this other stuff. So this this is truly a, a case of when when the the boy has cried wolf too many times, no one's going to believe anything they say until it actually happens. So I guess that's where we're at with the markets right now. Yeah, we've been talking about this in our reports for quite a few weeks, as you know. We've been yeah. warning about a uh, kind of a, 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 a buyer's remorse, you know, kind of a. A, a cataclysmic here's the sign it comes and goes and 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 there's nothing that happens and so when nothing happens and people thought something would happen what do you do you sell and i think what what really kind of got the soybean market you know getting hit in the afternoon is when you look at the timing because we got a little more information yesterday mm-hmm. when you look at the timing of purchases three quarters of their required purchases are in the second year yeah and only one quarter is in this year so they really don't have a huge commitment, uh, you know, leading up to the election, and it's only after the election that they are committing to doing much larger things. And of course, you know that that means that that uh, who knows who knows what they really will do. So so the yeah. market was kind of disappointed that it's a back end loaded deal, and and it's very uncertain how much they really will buy in the first year. Other than they'll certainly make their minimum commitment, but it doesn't look like it'll be too much different from what we've already been seeing yeah so i'm, I'm glad we got the deal signed i'm glad that stability's put back in the marketplace we got to get the usmca deal taken care of you know we still have to get it through the house or through the house through the senate and they've been there all but said it's going to go through with, with flying colors no problems still got to get canada to sign sign the deal up there so um you know january could be a, a big month and historically, you know, as you take a look back and, and kind of start seeing when 2020, what happens in 2020, this could be the, the roadmap, kind of that, 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 that starting point in the map as we start looking down the road of, of things starting to turn around. Now, let's shift gears and go over and take a look at what's happened in South America. They started off incredibly dry in Brazil. They were worried about pollination. They were worried about even getting stuff planted because of getting moisture into the ground and everything else. And now we're we're at a point where they've had some pretty decent rains and they're kind of back in a spot in the last report to come out of Brazil uh, the last crop report was showing that that they're they've actually upped the yields down there on on soybeans so I guess talk about soybeans and there, there could be a pretty significant issue brewing with soybeans here in 2020 well there's, there's you know soybeans uh, are grown in Mato Grosso mm-hmm. first crop corn is grown um, in central pretty much central South Brazil. Um, and central South Brazil has not gotten uh, relief. And that the first crop corn is way down. Okay. Um, and, and, and if you look at the price of corn in Brazil, it's up 40% in the last 45 days because they oversold and 
and they're having a very poor first crop. You know, they don't export the first crop. They export the second crop, which we're about to plant now. And so some of those, and of course, the second corn crop, they plant in Mato Grosso after they harvest the soybean. You know, it's kind of like you got to get the soybean crop out to move the corn crop in. So um, weather is still very important for how the soybean market finishes out. And it's also very important for how much corn gets planted in the second corn crop and what the yield potential is. And from what we see, it looks like this period of better weather is going to erode back to a, a, a kind of a hot, dry pattern for Mato Grosso. And so we think even though for now the weather is taking a back seat, we think it's going to come back in February and cause the current correction in grain prices to probably reverse for a little while. That's, that's our thinking right now is that we probably have a correction into the end of the month on trade deal uh, disappointment, and then we get weather back on board to uh, bring the grain markets back up in, in February. I th- we think that's probably what's going to happen here. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one winner yesterday out of that of the report we saw come from China was wheat. And, and honestly, wheat did look like it had a better chance of, of getting some, some upside kick from this, this trade deal than what we saw in other areas. So I guess talk about what's going on in the wheat market. I mean, there's a lot of pressure right now out of Ukraine where they've the last report that came out of there, they they were up almost seven percent, I believe, year over year in uh, overall yield of wheat. Um, Russian exports look like they're ticking up, um, so there's a lot of activity in wheat right now across the world. Well, the the, the biggest problem with the wheat market is that you know Russia's had two subpar crops in a row. Right. Their exports are way off, and the export price has taken off, and that means we've been getting a lot of business. Um, and the market is trying, and of course, we, you know, we had an early start to the winter. Um, we've had a lot of rain here in the U.S., uh, and 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 the winter wheat crop here in the U.S. is just it's just not it's not in a great condition. And the market's worrying that when we get to the spring, if we come out of dormancy in 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 kind of a, a weakened condition, and we get any kind of adverse weather over the spring, you know, the winter wheat market could really take off uh, against this reduction in Russian exports. And so for now, however, you know, we're really, really bumped the wheat market up against the winter wheat market up against some pretty good resistance. I don't think, we don't think that we can go too much higher on winter weather and on Russian exports for being reduced. We think it's we're going to have to wait it out a little bit until we get into March and we get kind of that spring trade going. So we think the wheat market's probably topped itself out for now, but it's had an incredible run. It's been the star of the grain markets here over the last 30, 45 days, without a doubt. And prices are reasonable. I mean, a farmer can sell here and go, you know, he's, he's going to do okay selling wheat at this price level. So. Yeah. All right. It's so another thing that came out of that deal yesterday after listening to the, the pundits on, on various ag forums and, and uh, talk radio and those kind of things. Beef, was had actually poised itself in there quite well um, to be a to be a fairly decent winner in this as the you know African swine fever issue that we see over there the number of uh, pigs that they're looking at I did read an article today where they were the China did report a a two percent increase in their in their herd in China which I don't know how you measure that when they're buying pigs as fast as they can get them but um, if they're if they're growing their overall um, heard by two percent every thirty days. You figure they would kind of let off on some of the, on the buying, but I'm not I'm not an economist nor an expert. So, um, but it looked like beef had a chance to to really shine ahead a little bit in this China with this China trade deal. So I guess talk about the beef market and some of the stuff that's happened there. Um, first of all, anything coming out of China 
Absolutely. We, we, can't, yeah. we can't figure out in the United States what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Can the Chinese have any idea what's going on? So any numbers coming up from them, you know, just throw it up and, you know, take your pick. But mm-hmm. having said that, um, we think the biggest thing for the beef market right now, I mean, sure, you know, we got a good deal with the, the, the Japanese buying a lot of our beef. Right. It does look like the Chinese are buying beef from us and they're going to be more regular buyer. But we think the biggest uh, catalyst here is that the Australian two-year, three-year drought that we've had that's decimated uh, herd populations there. It's caused them to have historic liquidation and it's kept aggressive Australian supplies uh, coming into the United States because we import a lot of beef from the Australians. It finally looks like they're, the pattern is broken and we're getting rains. It's a whole bunch of reasons for this, uh, but, but they're getting back into a rainy pattern. And once that happens, and it is happening, then the slaughter stops, completely stops. And then the Australian supplies that have been available in, in copious supplies completely dry up. And we think that the lack of available Australian supplies, not only coming into the U.S., but going into to China and, and elsewhere, we think it's going to be a big, it's going to put a big pinch on the global beef trade and, and offer not only the opportunity for Australian cattle prices to take off, but also you know, put some wind in the back for the U.S. market. So we would look for the Australian cattle price. You can go to their website and they, they put a price on their cattle every day that you can monitor. When that market starts to really spike higher, I'd be watching for our cattle market to finally break through 130 on the April contract and and. and kind of kick it off to the next level we're pretty optimistic that's going to happen yeah so. yeah there's there's a lot of things pointing in a pretty good direction for uh, the cattle market right now I just uh, you see kind of what's happening here in the u.s you see what's happening in the rest of the world and there's a lot of a lot of arrows pointing up um when you start looking at what's what's going on there right now i just feel like 2020 just feels like there's so much just bottled energy you know and, and it's just it's it's shaking the lid and the lid's about to pop off and i, I really feel like we're going to start seeing nothing crazy it's not going to go you know we're not going to triple the price of corn by between now and the end of the year but we're going to see that that steady slow but sure climb up in, in the markets so I, i'm pretty optimistic and it's, usda always is late in coming to the party and factoring in reduced supplies coming from a late developing uh, late planted, late harvested, low test rate crop like we had last year. Um, we feel between the March quarterly grain stocks and the June quarterly grain stocks, we're going to see some substantial reductions in supply. And once again, doesn't mean, as you said, it's going to be, you know, rip roaring, but it's going to, and then we have these trade deals. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, it's going to, as you said, keep adding to some momentum here. And if we have a kind of a rough spring weather where we get, into kind of a, a mid-late spring drought after early planting, you know, we could really get ourselves going here in the late spring, early summer. So we're pretty optimistic. We're looking at another pretty exciting opportunity for grain prices to have a, a pretty good catch, a, catch a pretty good bid here, you know, based upon this whole scenario of trade deals. And remember about the trade deals, to me, the most optimistic thing about the trade deals is on any breaks, it's going to limit how much we can go down. I mean, I have no doubt the Chinese will buy a lot more on down days or on corrections, um, and so will the Japanese, and so will the South Koreans. And so I really think that, for the most part, it limits how low we can go because those buyers will come in and take opportunities to buy on breaks. Um, 
And if we can limit the downside and then catch the upside from a higher low, you know, you, that, that means better prices for 2020. So. Yeah. Yeah. The other side of what, what I'm really kind of excited about, too, is um, I have my, and we're going to do a podcast about this and kind of about this time last year is when I first met Sean and he reached out to me and was talking to me about sunspots. I'm like, who's this crazy guy in these sunspots, you know? And then so I started doing some research on it and it's stuff that I actually knew about. And so we're going to do a podcast to kind of update kind of what's going on with that and what that looks like. And you can... You can your whatever your beliefs are with global warming, whatever else. The giant big ladder in the sky, the sun is the is the biggest indicator of what's going to happen with weather. So, anyway, enough of that, enough of that soapbox there. But anyhow, we're gonna. I, I do have my concerns about what's happening with with the weather because of where we are with these these solar minimums and and solar cycles and stuff like that. The one thing that I've been really paying attention to, and you and I have talked about this, just I don't know, probably the last five or six times that we've done this, is sugar. And the thing about sugar that people aren't realizing, I think, I think, I think traders realize it. I think the people that are in the sugar industry get it, obviously. But just the just the run of the mill person out there that's that's watching it, sixty percent of the U.S. sugar is grown through sugar beets, and I think about a hundred percent of the sugar beet growing areas didn't grow a hundred percent of their average crop, right? So they had a this is the first time in forty years that the U.S. has to go out to the world market and go buy sugar. Okay, so one time I was like, oh, what's that's not a big deal. Well. The world market isn't expecting the U.S. to come in and have to buy almost, it's a big number too, isn't it like 40% of the sugar, something like that, they didn't grow in the U.S., is it something like that? A big number, and we were already, even before sugar beets got crushed with the frost and everything else that took place, um, we're already projecting a huge, huge global deficit for sugar in 2020 of India and Thailand having very poor crops due to poor weather. So this just adds, and it's kind of the tipping point. It was... We were, we, were, we were just making a buy. We were tight, but we, we could still make it. And then the U.S. just put us over the edge until now. We are really, I mean, sugar, it spiked this week. If you saw the chart, we had the 450, 460. It's actually starting to go parabolic. And we talked mm-hmm. about how it was a sleepy market. It was kind of working up. But no it's starting to accelerate now, Casey. It's starting to actually become more of a vertical market because, you know, at some point, it, it comes to a head, and, I, and sugar's really. I mean, we talked about it in our program on your program, low twelves, and it's pushing yeah. mid teens now, and it's yeah. really starting to. Accelerate. So you're right. I mean, it's really all the marks to look at. It's one that's probably in, in in the in the in the most trending market right now is the sugar market, and it really has justification. The last time we got into a big deficit globally on sugar, we went to torn over twenty cents. Uh, you know, but mm-hmm. we may not go there, but I mean, you know, every every year is different. But but certainly, I don't think fourteen and a half is the top. Let's put it that way. And sugar's yeah. moved. Um, so when we started talking about this, when we started talking about the sugar beet situation, um, it was about ten cents, if I remember right. So it's moved about four and a half cents over the course of the last five weeks, roughly. So it's it's been. I mean, sugar's one of those things that's kind of one of, it's just kind of there. You know, it doesn't really, there's not a lot of things that swing the sugar market, right? Because it's pretty consistent. It's pretty common. It's pretty, it's an isolated U.S. market. And then you have a, a world market, you know, and that, that U.S. market's always just kind of fed on its own, you know, kind of done its own thing. And it's been perfectly symmetrical in what it's done. And this year, it just blew the lid off. So I guess the point I'm making here is I have my concerns about spring weather. You know, if we go through, another spring like we had where it might be 
um, too dry and we don't get the crop up like we're supposed to or we don't get the stain that we're supposed to get or something like that and then we start creeping into these 2021 grand solar cycle minimums things that we're going to talk about in another podcast um, that frost could come early again and it could set just set things up to where we might have a high high crop price and no crop you know what i mean it's just and not or the crop's not there again in in the volume that we're looking for is we may become uh, a regular importer of sugar yeah. here in the U.S. I mean, we we may not have a good crop for many years to come, and we're just going to be we are going to be a buyer of, yeah. of sugar now. Markets going to have to adjust where the U.S. is is a buyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's that's the that's going to be a different scenario for for the and, and the the grand scheme, the big picture here is that now all of a sudden the price of food's going up. You know what I mean? And you already start talking about a, a, a weakening dollar and, and what you see happen there where, where, you know, from in basic economics, you know, when you have a weakening dollar, it's great for U.S. exports, right? It's horrible for what you go to the grocery store and buy, you know, so everything gets more expensive, which leads me to my next point. Let's talk about that U.S. dollar a little bit here. It, it, you've been seeing pressure downward on that dollar for in the past three or four weeks, for sure. You've been seeing some some weakening signals, you know, over the course of 20 half of 2019 moving into where we're at now so i guess talk about the dollar and what you see happening there yeah i mean the follow the broad uh broad dollar index which is a trade weighted uh, index that the federal reserve uh, puts out every week um and we did one of these patterns where we marginally broke the 2002 high on this broad dollar index and then we reverse back down we call this pattern a breakout failure reversal pattern. We see it a lot in markets where a market breaks out, it's supposed to go higher, and it fails to do so and reverses back down. We have a clear uh, sell signal on, and usually those kinds of patterns, Casey, are very long-term and very meaningful, and we have clearly uh, triggered that here in the in December and into January. And so it kind of says to us that, you know, we may be at the very early stages of a long-term bear trend, and as you said, uh, for farmers, at least, it's great news for higher prices. For, for those that need to put food on the table, you know, there might be some some uncomfortable price shocks along the way. And uh, but but at some point, uh, food prices have been too low for too long, as we've talked about. And there has to be a yin and a yang. And it's time for the farmers to get paid for their efforts, which they haven't gotten paid for quite some time. So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Sean, there's a. Uh a million things going on right now and a million different places to go find information and, and your information is probably one of the best things out there. So if folks want to find your information or get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. They can look at sample reports, how our smart money indicator works, some of the podcast interviews and market-to-market interviews that we do to see if what we do might be of value to them. Right so, on. All right, Sean. Well, uh, take care of yourself. We'll talk to you again next week. And I am uh, Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Google Play, and about anywhere else you can find a podcast. Check me out on social media at Moving Iron LLC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, check out the globalagnetwork.com for more information about the great podcasters that are on that network. So I guess for that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Have a good day. Out. In the 21st century Hard-working people Working hard for you and me Moving 
fantasy 